Hoy, hoy. Hoy, hoy. See what I, I did there? Volume. I reverted to the ahoy, hoy. Oh, you went ahoy, hoy? Yeah, you know, I had a week to think, or more than a week to think. Actually, about two it. weeks because we took a week off. It's true. So you got to take a vacation sometime. Well, but, should we just be a bi-weekly show, or did we just skip our first actual week? I, you know what? I think we should really go for what the audience demands. And if the audience demands bi-weekly, then we should That's do sure. bi-weekly. Do we have data on that? Uh, we have a, sm a small sample set at this point. A small sample set. How many downloads do we have? Do we know? Um, at one point, we had nine RSS subscribers, but I haven't checked in a while. I can check during the show. Do you check through iTunes, or do you check through where it's hosted? Um, maybe we should do a show on starting up your own podcast. Uh, that because actually it actually is, was kind of complicated. That's informational. I mean, people want to know that. And I, I don't really know if I did it right, but we'll actually be able to tell after this uh, Well, I found us on iTunes, so I, I think you did it right. No, that's good. We have 13 subscribers. I can tell you that. 13 subscribers? 13 subscribers. Wow. And, I mean, Growing probably... exponentially by the week. <laughs> it's true. I think we had zero last time. Um, we, we have five subscribers through the Jakarta Commons generic client. And I don't know what that I is. I have no idea what that is either. Okay. Uh, it's a Java library. And Google Feed Fitcher, we have two subscribers. One of those is me. Okay. Did you tell anyone about the show? I played it for a few friends uh, over the weekend who gave great reviews. That's excellent. I've, I've not started my mass marketing campaign. I think I will do that after this week. I wanted to get back on schedule first. That's true. We should probably let the listeners know what our listenership goal is. Okay. So we got to 13 after one show. Mm -hmm. So after two shows, let's say, I don't know, one, 200,000? 200,000 is a conservative goal, I'd say. One to 200,000. Oh, one to 200,000. I want to give a big range so we oh, hit it. Even more conservative than me. That's I don't want to go over 200,000, though. It's, the, it's not intimate enough? I, I don't want to grow too fast, too quickly. I want to make sure we're ready for that. You don't want to like, you know, live large, live young, and die. I, I don't want to just blow up tomorrow. I want 100 to 200. That's the range. And I think we can hit it. Yeah, or organic growth is the best kind of growth. That's what I I've mean, said. I don't, I don't see why not. I've got about 15 Twitter followers, so I just put that out there. I think that's another 15 people will listen up. I, d I didn't know you were on Twitter. I, I tweet about once or twice a year, on a I, good year. I had my, my first tweet ever um, this Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Well, I'm actually not following you. I did not know you, you were on Twitter. You should follow me. I have three tweets, uh, three more tweets than I had last week. Interesting. And it's been a very exciting week. What, what are you tweeting about? Um, greetings and salutations. So, ahoy hoy? That's, yeah, that, that was my first tweet. Well, it's, it's a good place to start. It was a sign of solidarity for you know, the audience we have here. I, I, I'm sure they appreciate it if any of them are following you. Right. So, I mean, other than me tweeting for the first time, and actually, I think it's been a pretty eventful week in the technology sphere. Would you say so? I would say so. What was it today? Google I.O.? Yeah, today was the first of two keynotes. So I think yeah, we're doing I something see. interesting here is that they're going to announce a lot of stuff probably on the Chrome end tomorrow. Okay. Uh, tomorrow being, for the sake of completeness, tomorrow being June 28th, 2012. Because we are recording on June 27th. Correct. Wednesday night like we always do. Like, like we always do. We are two for three so far on those Wednesday nights. It's true. It's pretty good. So we're um, uh, 660. So yeah, so, so they had the, the 
I guess they call today the Android keynote and tomorrow is the Chrome keynote. Right. I, I saw the jelly bean statue was delivered a day or two ago to Google campus. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I think it was pretty much a given that they were going to call this release jelly bean. I think, I think everyone knew that too. But did you see the statue? Yeah. It's a, it's a, like a, tra it's a transparent. It's, it's, a <coughs> it's a glass of jelly beans kind of knocked over spilling out. Oh, I, I thought it was a, an actual Android figurine filled with jelly beans. Oh, was it? I don't know. You know, I might look this up. I'm pretty sure it's just a glass. It's just a glass. Is that a, is that like a some sort of a hidden message that Android is conceding to iOS in the market? They're just like they've fallen over and they spilled out their innards. You know. Oh, I see. I'm looking at at a few pictures now. So it is an Android, uh, an Android figure in standing up, filled with jelly beans, and and it looks like. Uh, they knocked it over and spilled the jelly beans out. And that's how they leave it on the statue, on, on the lawn. I mean. Okay. So, so we could say we're both right on that. We're definitely both correct on that. So yeah, so there was a lot that, I mean, there was a lot that was announced today. Um, I don't know exactly what you want to talk about. I know what I want to talk about. Um, so why don't, why don't you start talking and I'll cut you off as soon as I don't like it. <laughs> it's true. I want to talk most about the hardware that was released um i i think they uh, what's it called the the nexus the nexus q q I, I almost said s but that was the second generation phone right so actually re really quickly so jelly bean is 4.1 and i think they rightfully named it 0.1 instead of naming it 5.0 100 percent agree um it is a fairly minor update um the what, what do they call it? The Project Butter, which is to make the entire OS smooth. Yep. I think is a, um, um, a fairly unclever way of admitting that Android's UI has been laggy for years. Now, I, as, as you know, and as many of the listeners know, I still have not gotten ice cream sandwich yet on my ReSound, but I was under the impression that ice cream sandwich was supposed to kind of smooth out these problems, and I wouldn't need Project Butter or Jelly Bean for that. Apparently not. Um, I mean, one of the things that struck me about the way they conducted themselves in the keynote this morning, I don't know if you, if you watched the video live. I watched parts on and off. Is, and, it, and it's kind of in a stark contrast to what Apple does in their keynotes. Um, Apple's keynotes are, for lack of a better word, like incredibly dumbed down. Uh, they are made for a general purpose audience. Uh, they're made so that, like, for example, my mother watched one of the keynote streams uh, of one of the last keynotes, and she totally followed along. She understood it. And I'm but, assuming your mother is not a tech aficionado? No, she, she is not at all. Okay, good to uh, know. But um, in, early on in, in the, the Google keynote today, they were talking about very, very technical concepts like vertical sync and 60 frames per second, um, and, they, and they kind of balanced that consumer-level theme with the really low-level programmer-level theme. I just thought it was, I don't know, it's very interesting to see how these two companies who are very much competitors uh, talk to their audiences in very different ways. Well, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense because Android users are generally more intelligent. They pick the right phone. They know what they're doing. They don't just listen to a TV ad and go get an iPhone. Uh, that is certainly a, an assumption that you might make. Um, so... I mean, I, I agree. Even some of the Google stuff today that I heard did go over my head, and I'm a pretty 
pretty power user in terms of Android. I understand the operating system pretty well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, Apple Apple dumps down all their all their everything. I mean, they want it to be as simple to understand as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think Android from the start has wanted to be more technical and appeal to kind of the user that wants to engage with their phone at a higher, at a deeper concept, a deeper level. Right. And, and that's not to say that Apple doesn't put the technical information out there. Um, if you register as a developer for Apple, um, you can go online and watch all of the sessions that were presented at WWDC. And while you can't actually talk about what happens in those sessions, because if you do, you're under NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Um, but what goes on there is incredibly technical. Uh, they just don't uh, don't put that in the public sphere. It's just kind of interesting to see the two back to back. Definitely. And just to go back to a point you made earlier about the nomenclature, calling it 4.1 and not 5.0. Mm-hmm. So I think you're definitely right that part of it is it's a pretty minor set of improvements. Mm-hmm. I also think part of it is kind of for a customer satisfaction level that they can't release 5.0 before anyone's gotten 4.0. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can release 4.1 before it's gotten 4.0, and you know that's kind of okay, but... I just think it'd, bad, it'd be real bad press out there if 80, 90% of Android users are still on 2, 3, or below, and 5 O's are already out there. Interesting. I, you know, I didn't even consider that, but I, I think you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, in that consumers, right. So, so for example, um, Chrome is a, is a piece of software that just uses uh, software version numbers. Like, it's meaningless. Chrome is on release number 18, I think, now. The stable yep. release is 18. And it's in its dev channel is in the twenties somewhere, so like those numbers are absolutely meaningless. Mozilla Firefox is on version fourteen, whatever that means. Just for comparison's sake, uh, Microsoft Word, which has been around since the mid eighties or the early to mid eighties, is on version number fifteen. So it's really meaningless. Um, but I, but I think you're right that uh, that four point one is kind of this making people happy. Yeah. Do you think and that? I, and I think um, they said today that. Uh, a few phones, what was it, the Galaxy Nexus and a few others are set to, to get Jelly Bean in July. Yeah. Which, if that happens, and there's no reason to think it won't, that's still way before, I mean, I'm still waiting for Ice Cream Sandwich, and everyone else still is, too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there'll be phones, um, or devices, for that matter, where um, they will skip Ice Cream Sandwich altogether, and that the team that's working on Ice Cream Sandwich for the Resound, uh, do you think they just said today, you know, screw it, We'll take all the work that we've done for Ice Cream Sandwich and just move everybody to Jelly Bean. So, not for the Resound, but for other phones, I'm sure that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the Resound actually has been rumored for, for months now. One sign that was very close, sometime last week, I forget the day, uh, HTC actually put on the official support page a download, uh, no, uh, not no, like support literature for the download of Ice Cream Sandwich. And... I mean, that, that was a, a huge mess up on their part. Verizon didn't release anything, but I, I think from HTC's perspective, it's ready to go, and I've been waiting every day since kind of to see if it's released by Verizon. So I don't think for the Resound because it's so close, mm-hmm. but I do think that for second and third tier phones that we're going to get upgraded in the next few months, they definitely will skip it for 4.1. And there's precedent for that before. When I had my Droid Eris before this, trying to remember the exact operating systems. I was on, I got the phone, I was on 1.5. What was that? Cupcake, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when the phone, when I bought the phone, 2.0 Donut was already out because the original Droid came out with that. And the Eris was guaranteed to get 2.0 and then they skipped it right to 2.1 to Eclair. So that's definitely happened before. 
especially when it's, I mean, that was skipping two to two one. This is skipping four to four one. I mean, so that, I mean, I think that makes sense more than skipping four to five would if they decided to call this five anyway. Interesting. So one of the, one of the other software things I wanted to talk about um, is Google continues to innovate in the notification area, which is something that I think is great. Um, it's the best part of Android. I mean, that was from day one a big a big thing, better than iOS. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I think the proof of the pie is there because Apple effectively copied um, what iOS. Uh, sorry, Apple effectively has copied what Android has done for the notification center. Just, just to clarify, Apple's copied more than just notifications to make iOS kind of catch up to Android, but I'm, I'm glad we're on the record with that. Yeah, I mean, but you can go back to the fact that Android was originally de developed for phones that had physical keyboards, um, and that the Droid or the G1 is effectively aping the, uh, the iPhone's design. So uh, there's always copying back and forth. You're right. Um, so it, I don't think it's that it's that worthwhile to bicker about copying per se, because if it's a great idea, it's a great idea. And, and no, I agree. It, and actually, they make it their to, own. Not to get off topic, but two, three years ago, I think if someone asked you, "Oh, why do I get an iPhone versus an Android?" Mm -hmm. it was a lot easier to point to specific features and say, "This has one, this has the other." Mm -hmm. uh, Android could run multiple apps at once at first. I mean, there were a lot of different things, cut and paste, and I think. As time goes on, they kind of both operating systems become more similar, and more similar, and just pick up the better features. So it's a lot harder to point to something very good that one has and the other doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, w I would probably say now I haven't used a four point one phone. I would probably say it's it's probably a very good operating system. Um, at this point, it might just come down to personal preference. Um, I, you know how I stand on that. I know. I know exactly how you stand on that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the innovations they've done in the notification center I think are great um, with notifications expanding. Um, they introduced some other features for notifications to be uh, sort of dynamic in a sense. Exactly. Can't programmers kind of program in like hotkeys right to the notification to do, mm -hmm. to do actions within their apps? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's great. Um, it's something that I definitely would like to see in iOS. Um, did you want to talk about uh, Google Now? Uh, Google Now. Now, remind me what that is. Now, Google Now, I think, is the most interesting of all of the, the software, uh, software side announcements that came out today. And that is the, um, basically, I, I'd say it's Google's competitor to Siri. Oh! Because it's, I, it, is, it is your automated assistant. I, I forgot the name. That was on my list. The three major things I took with notifications, Project Butter, and then Google Siri. Yeah. So I, I wanted to get your opinion on it, and then I'll give you mine. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think you can give an opinion on this until you use it, because mm -hmm. I think you can make it sound great in an announcement, mm -hmm. and I think it's all in the execution and how well it actually works. Mm -hmm. I don't find Siri to be 100% effective. Mm -hmm. um, I use iPhones a fair amount. Most of my friends have them, and I'll, I'll play around from time to time when I want to frustrate myself. I, mm -hmm. I don't find Siri to be that useful. I One, in terms of voice recognition, I, it, it's very good at understanding what you're saying, but not perfect all the time, especially with names and stuff. Mm -hmm. But two is, and I, I know other people that have kind of had this same frustration is, I think the fact that there aren't set guidelines or keywords or instructions on how to talk to Siri 
make it a little too open-ended and mm-hmm. too broad and, and kind of a worse user experience for that reason. Mm-hmm. I think Android is now kind of calling this its Siri competitor, but they've had voice-activated commands for a while in which you can do all the major commands. You can say, call this person. You can look up something. You can write a text message. You can look Google. You can search for a map. And, and each one is a very set word that you say to bring up that action. Mm-hmm. Where Siri, I mean, I, I've heard people, when they want to open a map, they say, find where this is or map this. Or there's too many, there's a lot of different ways you can say it. And, and I've heard, had Siri not pick up on what it actually wanted to do because of that. Yeah, so there is a there is a small dialogue that you can bring up, which effectively through the through the power of examples tells you what Siri can do, um, and I agree that that actually could be a pain point for some users is that it's pitched as this magical assistant, but really it's just like anything, it's a piece of code with some sort of knowledge behind exactly. it. Exactly, you need to know the right words to talk to it. Right. It's, it's so, not just a, a real conversation. So, if, so for example, it doesn't know the word. Uh, if you want to do a map and, and it doesn't know the word route for some reason, then it will do a Google search for route. Exactly. Um, yeah, the the thing that struck me about um, Google Now is that it veers very closely, and I'm sure everyone's going to be saying this, but it, it veers very closely into creepy te- technology. Um, why, now, why do you think that? So one of, one of the things that they said on stage that stuck out to me was... Um, you don't need to tell uh, you don't need to tell your phone what your favorite sports teams are because you've already told us that because you Google it. Yeah, I saw all that stuff too. I and guess then, that's I mean, creepy in the same way. Sure, that's not a that's not a particularly personal piece of information. No, but then it, I think to myself, what else have I told Google that perhaps they don't present me information on? Yeah. So, so I, I understand. I think people probably will think that. I'm, prob- I'm pretty far to the not worried about personal information side mm-hmm. of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I mean, it, it just it, that doesn't bother me that Google is putting all that together to kind of piece together my experience of what I like. Yeah, it, it just kind of it, it reaches a little too far into um, I no longer have – Google no longer has just data – that I've put into it, so my Gmail I've put into it, my searches I've put into it, they're using that to store computed information about me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, they, they, the sports team thing is uh, particularly creepy in, in, my, in my mind uh, because I don't tell it that. I just search for it a lot. And so well, I would want any algorithm to figure it out. I understand that. What? Now, now, having said all that, I think some of the other features in Google Now are really fantastic. Um, I like the idea, and I, I love this idea, and I've I actually talked about this idea to people in the past. I, the idea of you have some sort of map, uh, you have some sort of um, appointment on your calendar, it's you know a mile and a half away, and you bring up that, um, that appointment, and it also shows you what time it is, a map to there, and when you have to leave to get there. So you don't. There are all these steps that you go through um, when you're when you're going somewhere, um, and Google now will figure out all of your routing options. So it, it figures out if you typically take the bus or you typically take a car, and it, it knows those things about you, and it makes that decision for you. 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it does have a lot of great features. I think, like I said before, it's just going to come down to, I mean, it's it's a speech recognition tool. So if it works 100% of the time, it's great. If it gets it right 95% of the time, I, I don't think that's good enough to use on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. and, I agree. And I mean, it, it does have, it, it obviously is adding more features, probably a lot more than Siri can do now. But... Even before Siri, uh, Android's had voice voice search for the major things you want to do with your phone. Yes. And I, I mean, I think I think that's enough for the most part. So, so I think I think it's Google's attempt to one up Siri. Yeah, that it is. Siri, you exactly. need to you need to ask your agent to fetch you information, and this you don't have to ask to fetch information. Information is automatically fetched for you. Okay. Sports scores for, you know, the Yankee game, because naturally everybody likes the Yankees, um, is fetched for you and presented to you in your now view. Um, I think it's interesting. I'd really like to use it. Um, but I think they really should be cautious about being, you know, don't be too creepy. You're right. And when my resound gets jelly bean in 2015, I'll be very sure to let you know on the podcast how it goes. <laughs> Super. Um, so, so by the way, I actually can't upgrade my phone either because if I upgrade this, I will lose my unlimited data plan. So you're stuck with the Resound for life. It, it's, it's a decision. As I, I can keep my unlimited data plan as long as I keep this Resound, which I am actually very happy with. That just sounds like, like the, the plot to the worst existential play of all time. <laughs> it probably is. And I'm sure you know, in a year or so, Verizon will change its terms to no one, no matter how grandfathered in you are, has an unlimited plan anymore anyway. It's true. It, it's, so I, I don't think it's going to last that long. As I think that the death of unlimited plans is a topic for a whole other show. It us. is, and I, I had a theory about that long ago, about they're going to become a rare commodity in the future. It's probably said that a year or two ago, but you're right, we should hold off on that. Yeah, we should. But I, I really actually want to talk about the, the Nexus Q. Yeah. Um, so there are some really cool things about it, in my opinion, and there are some really odd things about it, in my opinion. The first thing that's really uh, stark, and I don't know if you saw this, um, it's made in America. I did not see that, but I do support American manufacturing. I, I think that is a very bold move on Google's part. Now, granted, this is one of Google's first real consumer, uh, consumer industrial designs. So this is, Google is, is the hardware designer on this, right? They're not partners? Yes, they have a team, they have a hardware design team, and they are doing, apparently they are doing the manufacturing in Silicon Valley. Does that have to, does that design team come from their acquisition of Motorola, or do you think it's completely separate? No. Um, the people that they had on stage doing the, um, the, uh, doing the announcement for Google Q, and I forget their names, one of them has this like huge mop head. He's got this like ridiculous head of hair. Um, he's been a Googler for quite a while, um, and he was on stage last year at I/O, um, introducing what they called at that time. They called it Project Tungsten, uh, which was a, a fairly exciting demo. Uh, they, they basically, instead of it being a sphere, they demoed something that looked like a like a three D rhombus that did almost the same features. Um, but they didn't announce a, a price point, nor did they announce a release date, nor did they announce really what it could do. So this year was, we've refined the product, and now it's for sale. Um, my big question is, why is it three hundred dollars? It's it's very expensive. I mean, that's I mean, it, it could be this awesome round design, but it's it's three hundred dollars, 
And it's really just streaming anything you have in your Play Store via Wi-Fi, right? That's it. I mean, that doesn't appeal to me for $50, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of people's um, issues with the Apple TV, which is a $100 product, you can even find it for as low as $80 on a refurbished deal, um, is that it doesn't do enough. And it does way more than just stream stuff from iTunes. Right. Um, and the Google Play Store has just about as much content as iTunes does. I mean, the Apple TV also does Netflix. There's also Wall Street Journal. Te- there's Wall Street Journal television. I watch. Um, I have. I have an Apple TV, and I watch um, MLB. Um, what is it? All, I, MLB all season TV. pass. MLB TV. Um, it does everything except the NFL in terms of sports. Um, now the Nexus S, or sorry, the Nexus Q is a little unique in that it's designed to hook up uh, to speakers instead of just television. So right. Yeah, so they, they said it has somewhere, I think it's a 35-watt amplifier built in, and it has you know, traditional banana jacks for uh, regular speaker wire, uh, which is interesting. Um, but I, you know, I, just, I just don't see how many they're going to sell. Google Play just doesn't seem to be that compelling And, and they're, they're not putting any third-party apps onto it, right? Nothing yet. Um, so they did this very odd demo with people taking control of music, which seems, uh, frankly, it seems a bit like a mess. You mean via their own phones? Yeah, there were there were three people sitting around on the couch, and they all were taking control of the music, and so anyone could gain anyone could um, gain control at any moment. Yeah, that's not great. I mean, it's very strange, and actually, I mean, coming <laughs> off sounding too much like an Apple fanboy here, but uh, Apple has a this feature called iTunes DJ for years in iTunes where you could do just this. Um, And people with iPhones could actually, instead of taking control, they can actually vote on the songs that are being played, suggest songs and vote on them. Um, So so here's my big question. Um, Why is Google TV not included in this box? So, yeah, that That makes absolutely no sense to me. That's my next point is, first of all, not even that alone, the complete absence of Google TV at today's keynote. Uh, technically, Google TV is an Android project product. Yes. It's running Honeycomb, I believe. Um, yeah, so you don't you don't think they're going to show it off tomorrow? You think they would have done it today? No, I think I think tomorrow. I mean, they introduced it today as that was the Android keynote. Um, they did. Sony just released actually two new Google TV products. Um, Vizio is releasing a Google TV product soon. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just had nothing good to say about Google TV. But I still don't. I mean, that's probably right. Although a lot of stuff I read said they were going to come out with like kind of a version two that really was going to step it up. But perhaps, perhaps we'll be you know we'll be eating eating crow tomorrow. But um, I still just don't see why they wouldn't put even the old version of the software onto the onto the queue. Yeah, um, perhaps it can't run it. So um, why is it three hundred dollars then? I, I don't understand. Why because it's, it's made in America. That's the answer. Because it's made in America. Because it has cool industrial design. Um, it's got a ring of LEDs around it, so it can light yeah. up and respond to the music. That oh, doesn't excite me at all. Go. The last thing. So there, there are two curious design features, and I think I mean they're they're elegant and they're nice. Um, sorry, three design features that are elegant and nice, but they just don't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the first is you can turn the top of it to turn down the volume. Um, if this okay. is sitting in my media center, I'm not going to get up off the couch. To if it's meant to be like a lean back couch device, I'm not going to get up off the couch to touch the device. 
Right. Um, the same thing goes for there's a nice like capacitive touchpad where you can mute it. Okay. And it also has NFC built in. Oh, I did see that. Which is kind of odd because if I want to send something to it, do I... I they're, they're positioning it as a, I'm going to sit on the couch and use this device, but it has all of these close-range interaction features. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's weird. Uh, the Apple TV, by comparison, has no buttons on it. You can't yeah, actually so, I mean, do that, anything. That, the volume yeah. on the top, they get, I mean, that's a kind of cool feature or, or extra, but that's not... I mean, I mean, that's not enough to, to buy a box or anything. I mean, that's just like the type yeah. of thing you throw on at the end, and it takes something and makes it a little cooler. Yeah, I just, I just can't see how, and I mean, I think the Apple TV, Roku boxes, um, and otherwise, are their direct competitors, and I don't see how they're going to compete with them for $300. So the only thing I'm trying to think now is if you do have a big library of media that you purchased through Play Store, mm-hmm. do any of those other boxes have means to play those? Through Play? I don't think so. But a Google TV box does, right? And how much is a Google TV box? Uh, cheaper than three hundred. I'm sh- sure about that. The Vizio one, I think, is coming out for ninety nine. I'm not sure about the Sony ones. Right. So that'll play all your Google Play content. Plus, so I I guess that's the only thing this has is if you already have purchased a ton of Google Play media, you and you can't play that through a Boxy or a Roku or whatever. That's what this is. Hmm. It's a very. It just seems a very odd solution to me. I mean, there's a chance that. That this, this could sell to that type of consumer who really doesn't just know any better. And just a consumer who maybe never has no experience with a kind of a set-top box before, doesn't know about Apple or Boxy or Roku, has bought all these DVDs or movies or whatever, and sees this and is, oh, wow, cool, now I can watch them all on my, my TV through Wi-Fi. Like, I, I don't think they could really get a very educated consumer on this, but that, that's my only thought. Yeah, it's 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 very strange. Um, I mean, it's it an impressive like looking it's, piece that's of hardware. Only use case, like that's the whole thing that this is built for. Yeah, they they didn't. I mean, it's just a very odd pitch to tell you the truth. They didn't talk about any sort of expandability or that they have big plans for it. They just kind of said like, here it is. It's very pretty. It does this one thing. It does this one thing well. Um, nobody. I don't know anybody who's ever bought anything off of Google Play in terms of movies. Um, yeah, I, I don't either, but I'm sure people do. I guess they do. I don't know. It'll be curious to see how it works out, but it, uh, it's, a, it's certainly a very nice-looking object, but it's, it just seems out of place. So overall, it's, it doesn't look like either of us have super high hopes for this. No, um, unless Google can make a very compelling case for it. I mean, I think... Apple TV plus AirPlay seems to be a much better, uh, a much more better, sorry, a much more versatile solution. Uh, not only can I send content I'm watching on my iPad, but I can mirror my computer to my TV. Uh, right. So if it's not, you know, technically I could fire up Google Play content on there on my laptop and mirror it to my Apple TV. It's a, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just not seeing it. And is it out? It's out now, right? I think so. I think it's out. Well, it's not out now. It's out very soon. It's out now. If it's not out now, it's out very very soon. I think that the Nexus Seven is is that Google hardware as well? Yes. So that is 
they did announce that they partnered with uh, Asus or Asus. I don't know exactly how you pronounce that. I go Asus. Okay, Asus. Um, Asus is making it, manufacturing it, but Google is pitching it as their device. So Google's doing the design. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, to tell you the truth, that didn't really excite me very much either. Uh, it certainly has a powerful uh, processor in it. It's got apparently a 12-core graphics card, whatever that means. Um, but it looks like a Kindle Fire competitor. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, don't, I don't own a tablet. I'm not too excited by tablets in general. I definitely don't like the 7-inch ones. I, I, just, I really don't see the point of that size, form mm -hmm. factor-wise. I think if, if you want a tablet, you really need whatever. What's an iPad? 9, 8 or something? Let's call it 10. Call it, call it 10. I, I really think, I mean, that's a sweet spot. Kind of, I mean, Apple kind of has a sweet spot screen size for all their devices. I, I think everyone should just kind of accept that. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see this as any reason why Android tablets are going to take off when they haven't at all whatsoever in the past. Yeah, it just, it, it seems to me like a, a late entry competitor to uh, the Kindle Fire, which, which did sell well last year and aped a lot of Google's, uh, Google's Android profits. Yeah, Android, right. and because, the only uh, thing Amazon, it has going for it is it does have a very good price point. Yeah, I mean... Is it, I mean, is it's cheaper it, than the Nexus Q, and it does about a billion more things. Right, and you can just plug it into your TV. <laughs> and, and there you have it. So, so Nexus Q is out the door. Just get the 7 instead. <laughs> you heard it here first on Ahoy Hoy. Buying tip. Save, save 100 bucks. Do everything the Q does and about a billion more features, and it's probably a better form factor and anyway. You can use those 100 bucks to buy yourself uh, some Shack Burgers. Um, that's a lot of Shack Burgers. That's, um, how many do you think? 18, 17? That's a good amount of Shack Burgers. Yeah. I actually went back to Shake Shack last week. Interesting. Got the, the regular order, but, but I added to it. Guess what I got besides the regular shroom burger fries and Dr. Pepper? Pickles on the side. Nope. You got to get pickles on the side. I'll, I'll give you a pretty strong hint. It's not edible. The shirt? I got a Shake Shack t-shirt. They have a Love Park logo where the O is a Shack burger instead. Interesting. It is interesting. Um, it's only 20 bucks. I actually like the material a lot, so I'm, I'm more than happy to buy it. When I went... Uh, the line wasn't super long, you know, 20 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. but, but as I told you before at the Shake Shack, they only have one cashier, not two. Mm -hmm. So I ordered the t-shirt and it took her literally 15 minutes to find it. <laughs> so the line just stalled behind me for 15 minutes and grew and like doubled in size in that time. <laughs> so I, I don't think anyone behind me was, was happy whatsoever. But I, I put it on right away, wore it the rest of the day. Awesome. Yeah, I, having been someone who's ordered shirts at several restaurants during my life, uh, I find that cashiers are almost never prepared. Oh, I, she went to like five different places. She didn't know where it was. She had to ask the manager, and he didn't know either. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine they sell a lot. <laughs> and then it was literally like they're, they're locked up in the back somewhere, so they had to go find the keys. It was, it was, it was they a lock lot. up the shirts? Our, yeah. our food was ready before the shirt came. <laughs> it was great. That's 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 a great story. Yeah. Okay. So what's next on our list? Um, covered I/O. Covered our weekly Shake Shack. 
Of course. And we're going to start putting in the show notes kind of timings on this, right? Um, that's Can we the do goal. that? Or is that too advanced for us? I'm going to have to learn how to do that, but I will try to learn how to do that. If not, perhaps this will be split into multiple episodes. The strong market research I did in our 13 downloaders kind of suggested we should let people know what topic we're talking about when. Because, you know, it's, it's probably a little rare we're going to have people with the same areas of interest as our tech, our Shake Shack, our baseball. I think most people will probably kind of gravitate towards one or the other. But on the other hand, don't people enjoy a good bit of mystery? I, and a good bit of conversation, as far as I'm concerned. And shouldn't we want our listeners to broaden their horizons? And this is a, a, a good bit of both. I mean, if you're listening so far, this is what you've learned. T-shirts at Shake Shack take forever. Good tip, pro tip. Don't buy, don't buy a Nexus Q. Also, pro tip. And have we given out anything else, or is that just two tips? Yeah, buy yourself a Nexus 7. Uh, and only save 100 if you're going to get a Q. I, I still don't say buy a 7. Right. If you were going to buy a Q, first stop. Then buy yourself a Nexus 7. Then buy yourself 17 or so Shack Burgers. So where are they going to sell the Q? In, uh, in like Best Buys, you think? It's they, not going to be in carriers where this other stuff is. I think they actually said they're going to sell it on the Google Play Store. And that's it? I think. I don't think they're going to sell any of them. Oh, God. This thing has to be in retail somewhere. The other thing is you control it from your own device. And you control it based on your own Google Play content. So how could they even show that in a retail environment? Do they have someone walking around with another device that's stocked with content? Yeah, I'm sure they could. Yeah, but then that requires an attendant at all times. You could just have a demo phone right next to it. Yeah, but if you pick up the demo phone, how do you know how to operate the queue? I mean, so, so you have a, a demo app. That's the only thing the phone runs. It says press like three songs. You press one, it starts playing on the queue. Yeah, perhaps. That's, that's not the hard part. Okay, but you trust you trust Best Buy to set that up and make it look nice and work. They're a good retailer. When was the last time you were in a Best Buy and tried to use any of the smart TV features on any of the TVs? I've actually never tried to use smart TV features on any of the TVs. Next time, pro tip to listeners: next time, go into a Best Buy and ask them to show you the smart TV features of the of the TVs that they're trying to sell you. So, are we just giving out pro tips left and right here? Yeah, we're dishing we're dishing knowledge today. I do plan to go to Best Buy soon, though, as I get more serious into buying myself a smart TV, but I've right. not been to one in at least a few months. So do you want to talk now about um, crowdfunding and Kickstarter? Yeah, do you want to? I would, I would love to talk about that. Um, well, this is, your, this is your project. This is what you're working on. This is one of the things that I've been working on recently is uh, studying crowdfunding uh, as, um, from the perspective of its participants. Can I, can I rip you for one second? Sure. Just wanted to let the listeners know, Chase Utley, in his first game back, has three hits. In, in how many at-bats? Uh, either three or four. I'm not sure. I haven't been paying attention the whole time. But he, he, ju he just singled, so I, I thought people might be interested in that. Another, another pro tip. Okay. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I've been in a project study crowdfunding from the perspective of its participants. So that would be people who have created projects, people close to the platforms, as well as people who've backed projects. And I think that Jordan and I have had a disagreement about what crowdfunding is really about. 
and possibly even what the market for crowdfunding is. And I, I don't really know. You you haven't really told me what your what your theory on it is. So I, so I'm really curious to hear it, and then I think we could have it out. We we can have it out, and I, it may not end up actually being it out because I'm not sure we're in disagreement. The more I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I'm in disagreement with the way most people kind of think about it, but I think you may probably understand what I'm, what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. I think the common misconception from the public's view with a site like Kickstarter or with crowdfunding in general, but I mean, are there even other sites besides Kickstarter that do this? Are the, sorry, are there other sites? Other are there other Kickstarter? sites besides Kickstarter that do crowdfunding or there, are they basically synonymous? There are hundreds of websites that do crowdfunding. I'll show us what I know. We're going to go with Kickstarter, though. Okay. So I, I think people actually, I kind of think when they're, when they're putting money to Kickstarter that they're kind of investing, not investing, but helping a startup type company kind of build something. And, and, and they're, well, basically investing, yes, giving them the, the capital they need to actually invest in infrastructure or bring on people or build a product or do something, right? Like, I think they think they're doing the role that a traditional angel investor would do, per se. In reality, I really don't see it like that. I think, I mean, what they're doing is almost every time they are buying a product. They are customers, and they're just purchasing a product that doesn't exist yet. So I think from the business's perspective, I mean, Kickstarter is great as kind of a market research tool. Like, you can put up this product that you want to sell, and you can sell it before you've even built it. I mean, nothing's better than that. And then if the orders come in, you, you put in time to build it. If they don't, you don't. And I, I think it's great from a business perspective. To, uh, from, from the businesses, I think it works. It's not necessarily the best thing to do because I think a lot of these ideas, I mean, they don't actually need like startup type capital. I mean, before Kickstarter, a business would kind of just in, invest or take out a loan if they needed to invest on the product and then sell it if they had confidence in it. So I think this kind of just takes out that risk altogether for the business, but I don't know. Does this make sense where I'm going? No, I'm actually going to almost entirely agree with what you're saying. Okay. Um, and that- I, I figured you might. I just don't think most people think about it like that, that you're just buying a product from this person. They just haven't made it yet. I right. mean, that's all you're doing. Probably the best analogy you can use is the concept of pre-ordering. Yeah. Is that you're, you're effectively pre-ordering one of the first products out there. And because you're pre-ordering early and you're giving people some sort of seed capital in some cases, you might get some additional benefits. A little pat on the back for being one of the first people to buy the product. Um, On the other hand, and a lot of people have ignored this, um, or a lot of people who've been traditionally backers have ignored this, um, you're effectively conducting, if you're starting a project, you're effectively conducting market research. Yeah, completely. On what is the size of my market? How many people are interested? Um, is this a buzzworthy product? Product. Um, obviously, there are a lot of cases where a hundred percent funding level it would be considered completely successful. And in a lot of smaller projects, these are things like I want to do an art show. I want to put on a small play. Um, I want to do a photography project. Um, things like that. Um, getting just over 100% is considered successful. When you look at larger companies, like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Lunatic and the TikTok. Sounds familiar. So these were, um, these are um, industrial design people who made, uh, basically they're watch bands for the iPod Nano. 
Okay. Um, and they were wildly successful in their first uh, Kickstarter. They were the first. They were the first Kickstarter campaign to come close to a million dollars. Now there've been campaigns since then who have gotten exceeded even ten million dollars. They just launched a new campaign um, with the goal of raising forty thousand dollars, and they're selling their product for one hundred and fifty dollars a piece. Um, I would argue that they had no intention whatsoever of reaching $40,000 and that currently they've only, they've raised $250,000 for this Kickstarter and that I bet if you really, I mean, if you got them to be incredibly candid, they would say to you, they were disappointed in Uh $250,000 because they were using Kickstarter, not so much as a platform to pre-sell or pre uh, give out pre-orders to their customers, but also as a means of market validation that, this is a great product and there's a huge demand for it. I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I doubt the founders of Kickstarter kind of intended the business, the, the website to become this. Or I don't even know if they do see it as this. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely know that the general public does it, which is my only hesitation is I don't think people realize, it, maybe it's not a bad thing because they're willing to pay for it, they're willing to pay for it. I just don't think they realize what part of the business cycle they're actually taking part of. Yeah, um, I think I think Kickstarter um, as an entity knows that better now. I'm, I'm sure they do now. I mean, if they have any sense at all, they and I'm sure out Kickstarter the types of stuff that's up there. Yeah, I'm sure Kickstarter are rooting for the lunatic guys. I mean, the more people that use their platform, the more money they make. And the more money they make, the more influence they have in the market. Yeah. Um, having having said all that. Um, it's, it's still an interesting place in terms of uh, trying to understand it as where it fits in, within the realm of, traditional market, of the traditional marketplace. Um, it'll be really interesting to see going forward if Kickstarter, the growth curve, is sustainable. Um, How long has it been around for now? How long has it been popular for at least... It's been popular as a relative term, but I would say it's been popular for about a year and a half, very popular for a year and a half, Um, but I think it's been around since 2008 or so. It's been been around for quite a while. But uh, crowdfunding has been uh, an interesting thing to study. Uh, The the way we went about our study is we've been interviewing um, research, uh, sorry, project creators, project backers, and I think we have some interviews with some people who've worked on the platform itself. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to hear the stories of um, these people as they, as they effectively go through what I like to call, or what the team that I'm working with likes to call. Uh, basically, when you're running a, a campaign, you're running, in, you're running in a mini MBA. Um, everything from the basics of marketing to the basics of supply chain management to fulfillment to communications it's it's like a mini mba it's a huge task to run one of these campaigns and you learn a lot yeah uh, so it's a, it's an interesting um it's an interesting match for understanding markets and it's also an interesting match for understanding how the product development and the business cycle really works yeah definitely and i think you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to seem too negative about it. I, I definitely support it for projects that, are, that actually need funding, 
that are not just kind of like straight up, I'm going to make a product and sell it. Mm-hmm. The kind of catalyst for my thought is, I, there was a while back where someone was literally just making coat hooks, kind of that you hang on your wall in bunny-shaped ears. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that, that's literally just like a couple of pieces of metal and all they're doing is just like creating a model where they take out all the risk, they get the order before they manufacture or anything. And for projects like that, I'm, I just don't like the idea of it being used that way. Mm-hmm. I think for projects that are like, we're going to go out and film this awesome thing or we're going to go out and build this app or something, something that's not just directly selling it back to consumers, I think that makes more sense from a crowdfunding perspective, at least from the ideals of crowdfunding. Yeah. And all these products that are like, I'm just going to put up a hundred different, and I'm sure these people, I mean, it's their, I, I think it's their model is they're just putting up multiple different small products to just sell right back. And it's not like this dream they have. It's not this business they're starting. It's nothing like that. It's just getting market validation before they actually manufacture and spend a cent. Yeah, and in terms of uh, product and project quality, uh, this is, I mean, it's, it's not a problem that's exclusive to the Kickstarter set. Um, it's exclusive to any online community that grows beyond its original members. Uh, any, any online community is going to have a dedicated set of uh, original members that adhere to all of the guidelines or the, the norms of the community as established by its original members. And as you grow beyond that set into something that's much bigger and you experience viral growth, um, you can expect that people won't know those norms and, and they'll, just, they'll just violate them. Um, yep. And so, I mean, it's something that Kickstarter has to be wary about going forward. I, I, I'm sure of this. Because they don't want to, you know, jump the proverbial shark, letting in people doing lots of crappy projects. They want to maintain their their standards, um, and I definitely think this is one of the things that they're going to have issues with going forward. Is as there are more and more success stories, you get more and more people putting up crappy stuff that they're that they're not quite ready to to go with. Yeah, I mean, quality control is going to be a huge problem. Do they screen submissions at all? They do. Anything goes. They do. No, no, no. Not anything goes at all. Um, you can't raise for you can't raise money for charity on Kickstarter, for example. Uh, you can't do. You can't raise uh, money for projects that are offensive. So, if you wanted to write a book of racial slurs, you probably couldn't do that on Kickstarter. There's probably a venue for you if you want to do that, but it's not Kickstarter. So do you actually think they have live people reading over every submission? Or do you think yes. it's automated? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They have a, uh, I think they call it a customer happiness team. Okay. And how do they, how do they monetize? Do they take a percentage of every, of every donation? 5% of donation, oh, sorry, 5% of contributions where the project is successful. Only when the project's successful? Right. So if, they don't, if you don't reach your funding goal, then nobody's credit card gets charged. Right. Oh, right, because no one pays if it's not successful. Right. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch going forward to see how they can maintain their growth. Or, uh, I would be interested to see if they start to fragment their community. Um, they spin off sub-Kickstarter type sites. Right now they have curated pages, they have genres and subgenres, but it would be interesting to see how they, how they maintain that close-knit community uh, while they still expand without, uh, without getting rid of the entire principle of you know, what makes Kickstarter so great. Well, I'm glad you're working on it. 
Yeah. I wouldn't say we necessarily had it out right there. I think we probably agreed more or less. But good, good for the people to know. It's true. All right, so there's one more thing I wanted to talk about today. Okay. And that is your saga to buy a television. Oh, my saga to buy a television, which is heating up. I've been, I am moving on August 6th. I actually just reserved the freight elevator in my new building a few days ago. Had to pay $200 for that and was not happy whatsoever. But you don't really have a choice. And the, as soon as I move into my new apartment, I've, I've been wanting to get a, a new big flat screen for a few years now. Sadly, I still have this, I don't know, 32-inch tube TV, literally from probably the 80s or early 90s at, at best. I mean, Mike, Mike dealt with it for many years, too, actually, when we lived together. So I've been meeting to upgrade forever. Haven't done it. I'm all set. I'm leaving this TV behind. As soon as I move, I'm getting the new one. And I've been doing hours of research trying to figure out where I should go. Um, so I think I have it narrowed down to more or less three choices, uh, if you want to hear. Sure. I, I think you should actually tell. Everyone should know about your current TV setup um, and what television means to you. Because for somebody who doesn't care about cars, a Toyota Corolla could be a totally appropriate car. Correct. But if you really care about cars and you spend a lot of time in your car and you drive your car a lot, you probably don't want the most popular car in America. No, you probably want a Volvo 850. So I think, I mean, as we might, in, in a week or so, we might have 100 to 200,000 listeners, of which you might not know half of them. Um, I think you should I explain to I'll the audience. <laughs> okay, maybe I was exaggerating there. You, you should explain to the audience uh, your, so, so what the Mike saga of your current television. And I'm what? probably not the average television user. I'm very passionate about television, quality television, both dramas and sitcoms, from a very critical and cultural standpoint as much as a pure entertainment standpoint. I actually minored in uh, television studies at Brandeis, where both me and Mike went. Did a bunch of independent studies on shows like 24, wrote a lot of papers, really kind of think about and look at TV in a critical eye, and not to give myself too much credit, I also kind of just rewatch everything over and over and over again. And I've probably got, and the, the list grows, I've probably got 20 shows that I've rewatched three or four times start to finish. I mean, major shows like The Wire, stuff like The Office or 30 Rock, I literally just rewatch Community twice in a row because how great it is right now, Arrested Development, list goes on and on. I probably watch, I don't know. Everyone always asks me hours, and I actually like to sleep with the TV on, so I don't know if I should ever count that or not. But I'd say six hours a day is really safe. Um, whether it's active or in the background kind of differs, but I watch a lot of TV. So, so to kind of be stuck with this RCA tube from whenever it was is, is a little embarrassing to some extent. Now, if I, if I remember correctly, um, you got that TV... Our, our junior year at Brandeis. I got it the summer, yeah, right after, right before junior year of college, it was my grandmother's, and she upgraded to a flat screen back, I mean, even she was behind the curve then. When was that? Probably 2006, I think. Yeah. Now, and if I remember, it started with you having to get it repaired. Yeah, it did not work. She actually threw it out, or was going to throw it out. That's why she was upgrading. 
So, so, I actually, so this TV has never been a top-of-the-line television, and it's moved from Boston to Philadelphia, back to Boston, back to Philadelphia, to um, New York, I mean, back to Philadelphia, many more, times. Probably more than just that. I mean, it's lived in a different location each of the seven or eight years I've had it so far. This TV has probably traveled more miles than many humans who live in this country. You know, that's actually probably true between school in Boston, then Philly for the summer, then back to Boston, then ev- everything you just said, I think you're right. Many, probably thousands of miles this television has traveled. Not, not including, of course, its original trip from where it originally was. Without a doubt, thousands. And I can tell you it is ridiculously heavy. Two people, you, you really need three people to lift it. You also need, uh, you need to wear gloves because it's just so sharp on the bottom that it kind of cuts your hands if you're just holding it there. It's, it's not a fun thing to move. I, I can't tell you how happy I'm going to be to move out of my apartment now and leave the TV where it is. Yeah, so this TV, I, I feel like it's been a burden on you. And I mean, I, I've carried it several and times. Been so many times around my birthday or on something else, I've told myself I'm just going to get rid of it and buy myself a flat screen. And for whatever reason, I, I never have. So this is a very exciting time in my life, which is also I've been putting so much pressure onto myself to do all this research to make sure... I actually picked the right TV. And, and I don't think this had to be said, but um, this television, the, your old one, is not an HD TV. Oh, it, it is, is a 36 not. inch, I think, tube CRT. It is, it is probably massive. 150p. <laughs> if that is- it also, and this is just an important fact, it also has a large purple streak. That, that, goes, on, that goes on and off. Uh, uh, at times, there is a large purple streaking on the left hand side of the screen. The, the coaxial input does not work, so I actually need to run uh, component cables from the cable box to the back of the TV, which doesn't seem that bad because it only has one input on the back, and I also like to run video games to that, or my Xbox, which I use to stream a lot of media. So it's, it's just not a great situation. I mean, it, as like an equivalent, it's like the world's largest car fanatic um, driving like a 1987 Honda Civic. With, with, like, with its left door missing. And no air conditioning. And, and no air conditioning, um, just because. I've had, you're not the first to comment about the irony of that, of how much TV I actually watch and how much I actually care about it. And I really do love, love good television. And so so let, let's talk about what, what you're going to be buying. Okay, we, we can stop talking about the old TV. So I think I've got it down to three things. First of all, my criteria, I, I changed my criteria a lot. I, I started out aiming for a 47 to 51. I th- I'm almost, I'm set on bigger than that now. I think, uh, I think bigger is better. I'm going to go 55 minimum, probably 60. I really want to do this right and not regret any bit of it. So I'm pretty sure I'm set on 60 inches. My new apartment is going to be about 10 to 12 feet away. So from what I've read, I think that's fine for 60 inches. That'll be fine. Um, I'm not too concerned with smart TV features at all. Because I have a boxy box right now, I'll probably get another one, mm-hmm. and I think I will. I assume I'm going to use that for everything. Mm-hmm. So every, I mean, every TV on the market now does come with smart TV features, but I'm not worried about that. Um, I'm really just worried about screen size and, and then quality of picture. I think are the the two biggest things that I'm going to care about. Okay. So um, so you have it, you said you have it down to three models. Three models, more or less, but it changes kind of depending on what's on sale. I've got. Uh, the, the Panasonic Plasma lines, which get great reviews for their picture quality, kind of top of the line. 
Um, now, I'd be looking at the UT series, which is actually the bottom of the line plasma, but still ranked real high across all the boards in terms of picture quality. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's 55 inches right in my sweet spot for price range. And the only downside to that one is it gets pretty poorly rated in terms of bright rooms and uh, anti-glare reflectiveness. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of the one hesitation there. I'm also looking at a 60-inch sharp LED. Mm-hmm. Uh, which does not get quite as glowing reviews on picture quality, but it's 60 inches bigger, and it's one of those super thin LEDs, which I love from a form factor perspective. Uh, I I think they just look beautiful in your room when they're, I don't know, less a half inch thick all the way back in uniform. Mm -hmm. You've referred to these as? I've referred to them as the MacBook Air TVs in the past. I think Samsung first came out with the super thin LEDs maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I saw them at a Best Buy, I was literally blown away. Like, more so than the first time I saw a MacBook Air. I was, I was speechless at how beautiful that form factor was. Hmm. I should have bought one right then and there. I, I don't know why I didn't. Arguably so. Now, the third TV, which actually, which is kind of the dark horse in, in the race, it's not ranked as well in picture quality or value or anything else. Um, is the LG LED 7600 series. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, I don't know if you've seen them or not, it has the thinnest, thinnest bezel around three sides, the left, right, and top of any TV out there. Mm-hmm. And it really just looks like the screen goes all the way to the edge and stops. I mean, the bezel is literally maybe an eighth of an inch or even smaller than that. It's just non-existent from a front view, and it just looks, I mean, it just looks awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I don't think we've ever talked about what my buying, what I, what I would buy a TV on. Well, so, maybe more. I can give you some tips here, and then we could have it out a little bit. Um, I think the, after you've decided on size, right, I think maybe the most important thing that I would decide, uh, make a decision on when buying a TV is whether the front is reflective or matte. Okay. Um, so in my case, uh, the Panasonic Plasma is reflective, and the two LEDs are matte. Okay. Um, for example, the living room in my apartment here, I happen to have a matte TV. Um, if it was reflective, it is very bright in my living room. I wouldn't be able to see it th- during the day. Um, you want to watch a TV. Yeah. It just, it just comes down to that. Um, you know, the, the television is its screen. Um, so having a TV that that you can watch all the time is very important. Now, I don't know how bright your new apartment's going to be, but I would, do I have actually not seen it yet? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But you, but you've paid $200 for the elevator. I've paid a lot more than $200, but yeah, that was just for the elevator. Have you seen the elevator? I have not seen the elevator actually. (laughs) I have no idea how big a freight elevator is. Let's let's hope it can fit a sixty-inch TV. I assume if it can fit furniture, it can fit a TV. It's probably true. Um, So I would almost definitely go with a matte type screen. I just think they're more versatile. Um, Glossy screens look nicer when they're off, but you don't want to be. You don't. Truthfully, you don't really care how how good it looks when it's off. Ah. so, uh, so I, I know that's your opinion. I kind of consider as I, I mean, the TV on is probably ninety percent of its value. But a TV, especially this big in your living room, it, I, I, you have to almost think of it as a piece of furniture as much as a viewing device. So, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give too much stock in that. But I do think 
how it looks turned off is, is, is important to some extent. Right. Now, of course, budget is always an issue. Um, and I'm assuming these three televisions are roughly in the same budgetary range? They are within a, say, $300 swing of each other one way or the other. Okay. Um, the other I'm option to consider, which a, a lot of people don't consider, is noise and power consumption. Uh, plasmas consume a ton of power. Um, just because of the technology that's required by it. And LED TVs re require much less power. And when you re require so much power for plasmas, um, at times there are large fans on the inside of these things, and they spin up and they actually make noise. Uh, so that's I definitely, didn't know that about the noise. That's something to be cautious about with a plasma. So, pro tip I, to people possibly pro tip buying... Is cautious about noise and power? Pro tip to someone possibly buying a plasma TV is go to Best Buy, turn it on, and put your ear up to it and listen to it. Interesting. That would annoy me, actually. I did know about the power consumption, and I looked up. There's a lot of kind of conversion charts out there. I don't know how accurate they are, saying if for this size plasma, this model versus this model LED, what the power difference is. And it really came out to like a $30 or $40 difference over a year. Right. Which doesn't seem like enough to really, I mean, I don't know, extra $3 a month on my power bill because I have a plasma versus an LED. Right. That's not, that's not going to make my decision. But they're not assuming that you sleep with the television on. Yeah, I guess they are assuming normal use. And that's another reason I'm a little worried about a plasma. I know they've gotten better about screen burnout, but I mean, what, what do they say the lifetime is? 6,000 hours more or less? Somewhere around there. Like, I'll, I'll eat that up a lot quicker than the average plasma owner. A lot quicker. So I think it's pretty much decided. I think, you, I think you're going to make the decision between the two LED TVs. Yeah, I probably am. Uh, the, the two things going against that is, one, the plasma is the cheapest. And two, it is the best rated picture quality of the three by a significant margin. And, and actually, four, um, or three, the third point is, which maybe you can uh, comment on, is I've heard from people that plasma is better for sports and kind of like fast action scenes in movies and such. So plasmas can be better for that. And this, this gets into an, an, an odd topic of, uh, a fairly technical topic of television refresh rates and how television signals actually work. Uh, televisions bill themselves as being 120 hertz or 240 hertz, and where hertz means the entire screen refreshes. So four, yep. 240 hertz means the entire screen, every pixel on the screen changes 240 times a second. Well, there is no broadcast or there is no um, Blu-ray content which actually broadcasts at 240 hertz. Um, it comes in at under 60 hertz in several cases. So what the television does in those cases is it just makes up frames. So it's making up, it's doing interpolation schemes to figure out what's going on in between the two frames that are, you know, one sixtieth a second apart and makes up some frames. So in the case of really fast motion like sports, you have things like ghosting, where the difference between two frames might actually be pretty significant. Where if you're watching, say, the news and the news anchor is sitting there and his, you know, his or her head isn't moving very much, the difference between frame one and frame two might not be a lot. So the interpolation scheme actually does a good job. Uh, a lot of that can be removed by just turning it off. So another pro tip that I would give if you're, if you're shopping for this kind of stuff is don't pay so much attention to the color calibration 
that is on the screen um, in Best Buy because they're known to turn those things up and turn those things down. Um, you can always go online and find people who've calibrated respective televisions for their for their correct white point and whatnot. But the things you should compare are things that Best Buy can't really tweak with, and that is things like go in and turn off the 240 hertz feature and compare the two pictures side by side to see if there are um, any ghosting issues, even without that, that feature on. That is a good pro tip to know. Um, because all of that stuff is done in software, and you can really compare, you know, basically they're, basically they're just algorithms. So you can compare the quality of the two algorithms. In most cases, I'd say, turn that stuff off. It's going to make everything look like a, you know, a Spanish soap opera anyway. And it just, I don't know. From someone who's watched the same television show three or four times, Watching it that fifth time and it looks like a soap opera, it just, you know, it just doesn't seem right to me. I, I definitely know the effect you're talking about. I've seen it on many TVs and it's, it's, it's pretty annoying. It also, it, I mean, and this is a topic I think for another show, but it also, it, it breaks that line between um, the, the director's intent and what you're actually viewing. Um, the, the director makes some sort of choice on how they want to present the television show to you. And so it really wouldn't be the director's intent if you watch the whole thing in black and white. Um, and, and that's more of an extreme case, right? But um, so why are you interpolating? Why are you making up frames and, and making it seem smoother than it should have? Exactly. Just, I, th I think that's actually a very good point, too. It just doesn't seem. It's right. not how the director want, wanted, you, wanted you to view it. So we can kind of touch back on this every, every few weeks. I will probably do 100 or so hours of research before we do our next show. Great. So and where have you been going to do research? Changes. I've got, I don't know, probably about five or six weeks left, so I'm actually going to pull the trigger, and hopefully it'll be the best day of my life, actually. It's true. Well, remember, any TV is better than no TV. That's, I, well, I do have a TV now, but you're right. At, at some so, point, you will have no TV. And then. point to remember is whatever I end up with, I will be happy with. It'll be a million times better than what I have now. It'll be huge, and that'll be great. It's true. And at no point will you probably have both of the TVs in your living room at one point, or all three of them in your living room at the same time, so you can compare them. So whatever right. you get will look great. Whatever I get will, will be the best. It won't matter if one was 2% better. It's, it'll be just as good. All right. Well, I think that's the show. I think that's the show. We don't have any actual TV to talk about. I know we did. We went hard on Mad Men last week, but Breaking Bad is coming, starting up in a few weeks, so I think we should get real into that. Breaking Bad is coming back, and I, I'm very excited. I don't know if you saw the season, uh, the, tr the season's trailer that was released, I think, yesterday. Oh, it was just released yesterday, then I have not, so I'm going to go look that up right now. It's uh, intense. Did you uh, did you watch the newsroom, <coughs> the new Aaron Sorkin show? Did not. It was okay. Okay. It might be worth talking about if you want to watch it, but if not, we can kind of just hold off our TV until until Breaking Bad. Um, we might do that. Okay, that's the show. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Cut it off. <laughs>